AFL Show, part of the Mojo Sports Network. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Mojo Sports AFL Show. I'm your host, Callum Dunk. Joining me on the show tonight is Ash. Ash, how are you, mate? Good to see you. Pretty good. The Carlton winning streak continues, so uh, always pumped. Yes, and I'm happy to. My my beloved Port Adelaide are back on the uh, the winners list this week after losing four consecutive games. But we've got a fair bit to talk about tonight, so let's get straight into it. Uh, let's do a quick recap of the round. Started on Friday night with uh, Collingwood winning by eight points over Geelong in what was a good contest on Friday night. Uh, on Saturday, we headed to Marble Stadium as the Dons won over the Kangaroos by nine points in Ben Cunnington's last game. Well done to Ben Cunnington on a fantastic career. Uh, the Sydney Swans uh, continued to surprise with a 24-point win over the Gold Coast Suns, and they are in very much strong contention for the eight. The Lions did what did what they needed to do against a very... Uh, very determined Adelaide Crows lineup, winning by six points. Carlton win by four points in probably one of the games of the season against the Demons. The Eagles go back to their typical 2022-2023 ways with a 101-point loss to the Dockers. The Hawks continue to have a good record in Tassie and win over the Dogs by three points. St Kilda did what they needed to do to keep their finals hopes alive with a 36-point win over Richmond. And unfortunately for the Tigers, they're probably Dunsky now. And finally, in the last game of the round, Port Adelaide won by 51 points over GWS Giants. Ash, other than Carlton, you know, that was one of the games of the season. But what were the other results that really stood out to you this round? Oh, surely I have to talk about Carlton, though, okay. I'll let you have your glory. Go ahead. Talk about Carlton. Get on the bandwagon. Bandwagon? Oh, it's the last thing I'm on. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm stoked. And, and no one apart from me could have seen this coming. I was predicting us the, the entire season. I was telling you, just watch the good teams time their run at the, at the right point of the season. And from going from you know, probably the third worst side in the comp, at the bye to now being, you know, the third best or some consider the best team of the competition. I'd probably put myself in that boat too. Um, look, this transformation is just incredible. Eight wins in a row and we've got so many A-graders yet to come in. Harry Mackay is coming back this week. Sam Walsh and Adam Chera coming back next week. Um, you've got Jordan Boyd who uh, returns from suspension. He had 26 touches or something in the VFL, so he'll probably come in this week. Um, Mitch McGovern is probably ready this week or next week. Matt Kennedy probably next week. So that's about five or six best 22 players who are coming back in, you know, right before finals or at week one of finals. So for Carton fans, it it only gets better. Um, As a game, as a whole, though, I think – yeah, it, it was pretty incredible. You said it was one of the games of the year. For me personally, I was, I was stressing out. I, I could not consider that one of the games of the year. I was so um, scared that we were going to sort of go back to our ways, which saw us lose four in a row to finish off last season and even to choke round one this year against Richmond. Um, but, yeah, Melbourne put up a really, really good contest. Um, they, were, they were very aggressive. Um, they opened up their offense over the last month to be sort of more direct down the middle of the ground. but 
Carlton were really lucky to sort of be set up for it. Um, we've seen huge sort of last months from Jacob Weeder and Brody Camp. Um, we knew that they wanted to be aggressive and uh, get numbers there, and um, we sort of had, had the advantage at ground level. And uh, lucky our players took advantage of that, um, and that's how offensive Carlton wanted to be. And and we were ready for it. The pressure was high from both sides. Um, yeah, it, it's just really incredible how we've sort of turned up over the last eight weeks, um, providing turnovers with that pressure, and it sort of leads with our ability to score. So um, they, these are both teams, us and Melbourne, who have averaged over the last six weeks over 100 points. So very aggressive. And, uh, look, potentially maybe it is a game of the – one of the games of the year, um, I certainly was a bit scared, hoping we wouldn't choke. So lucky it ended up that way. Yeah, like it kind of gave me flashbacks to the Port and Collingwood game at Adelaide Oval probably about a month ago. Um, felt like it was a very similar contest, wet, breezy conditions um, at the G. And, you know, if that's a, a preview of the finals to come this year, uh, I feel like we're in for a very special final series. And, I'm not going to lie, I'm pretty wrapped for Carlson. Like, I was pretty critical of them, you know, um, early in the year. And we had chats on this show about whether Voss could get sacked. And I was never of the opinion that Michael Voss should get sacked at any point in time. But I certainly understood the pressure that was going on with the list that they have, the amount that they've spent on recruiting, the salary cap that they've been, um, you know, paying the players as well, how they've chosen to you know, spend potentially 50% of their salary cap on seven to eight players, you know. Um, if they can win a final this year, that is a fantastic achievement. I'm of the belief that they are in a strong contention to make it to a prelim with the way that they're going at the moment. Whether they can, you know, really push in a prelim and, and get to the last Saturday in September, I'm probably not that confident, but I'm certainly confident that they could really push a team and get to a prelim and, Uh, If they could somehow manage to stay at the MCG for a few of their finals and not have to travel to Adelaide Oval or the Gabba, uh, I certainly give them a a red-hot chance of going deep into September. But the team that I really want to touch on um, this week was the Hawks. Um, After a sluggish first quarter down in, in Launceston, you know, they were able to respond, they were able to bounce back, and that third quarter was really electric. And, um, commiserations to, to Chad Wingard as well, um, done a Achilles injury that's going to see him out for about 12 months or so and not what he needed um, in the final year of his contract. Um, you know, I was – he could be a, a player that, you know, play, uh, teams in the premiership window, I should say, go after to try and get that you know, extra crafty player. And I don't feel like teams would have to get too much to get him at the moment, particularly with his current injury status. And if he could potentially, you know, get himself back towards the, you know, the last six or so weeks in next year and really help a team push for a flag um, as a crafty small forward who can pitch in in the middle, um, you know, I feel like the sky... You don't have to pay too much in an investment point of view. Um, probably be willing to take a pay cut as well to go and chase a flag. So, um, yeah, but Sicily down back, electric, Jai Newcomb, man, this he's so impressive. The way that he's able to get contested ball, he's fending off blokes, he's doing the simple things well. He's generally a, a first-give player. He's a clearance beast. 
they're building something really special at Hawthorne. And once again, like we touched on this last week, you know, Sam Mitchell has so much to be excited for. If he can keep this group of players together, uh, they've got two young key forwards. They've got, you know, a developing backline. And James Sisley is such an important part of this team. And, and Mitch Lewis as well is, you know, it's been touched on in the media a bit since um, the weekend, but he's just so important to their structure and Sicily and, and Mitch Lewis are no doubt their two most important players. And I think Ned Reeves is continuing to develop as a ruckman uh, with, you know, stepping into the shoes of Ben McAvoy last year. You know, Max Lynch is not getting an opportunity anymore. He's had to retire with concussions. So, you know, that number one ruck mantle is certainly up for grabs. And I know that Lloyd Meeks played a fair bit this year, but I really like what Reeves is doing. And um, it's just good signs. And if you're a Hawthorne fan, you'd be pretty optimistic about what the team can do over the next three to five years. I still feel like they'll stagnate at this kind of level next year as they get more games into those players. But how do you assess that performance on the weekend from the Hawks? I thought it was pretty electric. Yeah, we've seen a great sort of turnaround in the second half of the season from the Hawks. Um, we've taken some really big scalps um, from teams inside the, the top eight currently. So that's, that's really impressive. But for me, from that game, the thing that stood out to, to me the most was the Bulldogs. And uh, big warning signs f- for me, in my opinion. I still reckon they just get into finals. They have a, a few easy wins, I think, to finish off the year. Yeah, but I think we're just not seeing enough. I think there are two problems with them at the moment. I think their ability to close out games has been sort of pretty dreadful for most of the year and sort of finish off when it matters most. And second of all, sort of um, the role plays, if you want to call it, for for the doggies and sort of a lack of output which you're getting from that sort of bottom six to, eight to ten players. Um, you know, Cody Waitman, no goals and only five touches. Guys like Arthur Jones, three touches, no goals. Um you know, Oscar, Oscar Baker, Caleb Poulter, Jack McCrail's hoping to see a little bit more of after Libba got injured, but he seemed to never sort of get going. And Aaron Norton is another one who just sort of can't seem to find a good position. No goals once again. Is he going to be, you know, a centre-half back or, or a um, centre-half forward? His position sort of gets thrown a bit around, but sort of with the number of tools which the doggies have, it's sort of hard to, to see where his future lies. So I think the, those are sort of a few of the players which I mentioned there. Sort of hard to see, or hard, hard to believe that they'll sort of be getting games at, at other clubs inside the top eight, and they really need to sort of contribute at a higher level to sort of not put as much strain on you know your bonds and your other players who are sort of pulling the load and carrying the dogs at the moment. So I think it's pretty worrying for them from a on-field point of view, but also off the field with the coach and Luke Beveridge and where his future sort of stands. So a lot of question marks for me. Going to be interesting to see if they scrape into finals, but yeah, definitely question marks and, and worrying signs. I think they're pretty lucky with the draw. The fact that they play West Coast this week and they should get a decent percentage boost. Um, and that just sums up West Coast this year as well. Um, you know pretty much considered to be easy beats at this point in time uh, other than the, the Essendon game, um, you know, last last week. So uh, just simple things like not having a proper 
two minutes on the clock, how are we going to win this game sort of strategy? The fact that Tim English takes a kick out from fullback when you've got elite ball users like Bailey Dale and, and Caleb Daniel, Ed Richards, I don't understand how the Ruckman's at the square, taking two bounces, running around like a headless chicken. And I'm not putting this blame on Team, in- team English, but surely one of the more senior players at this point in time in the defence says, no, nah, that's my ball, that's my kick out, all that sort of stuff. And um, so can I just interrupt there? I, I, I agree with you. And, and it's not just from a kick out perspective of who's going to take the kick out and, you know, whether English is the right person to do that with his kicking skills and, and, and that. But English is such a valuable asset with his contested marking. Where was he long down the line presenting for an option from that kick out? So it's almost a double negative. You're not getting, you know, your good ball users like Dale Richards, but you're also lacking the, the tall, you know, to present. So found that really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And just touching on your point about Aaron Norton, I love Aaron Norton as a player. Unfortunately, he did not come good in my multi, same as Cody Waitman this week. So I was very devastated about that. That was the only two that uh, that mucked up. Um, but all multi jokes aside, I still think Aaron Norton is your centre half forward going, moving on into the into the future. And whether he continues to stay at the Bulldogs um, is a different story. But as long as he's at the Bulldogs, I still think he's. A centre-half forward, the way that he competes, he flies in the air. Some of his contested marking on the weekend I thought was sensational. The fact that he wasn't able to kick straight, he could have had easily had three goals in that game. Cody Waitman, you know, wasn't seen on the weekend, as you mentioned, but, you know, we know Cody Waitman is such a class player and if he he's the sort of player that will stand up in September if he gets an opportunity. So, yeah, I still think the Dogs make it as you said but um i don't think that they will do any damage in september i feel like if the crows make made it they would do a lot more damage in september um i feel like saints and the dogs are probably the two teams that if they make it i don't see them doing any damage whatsoever unfortunately but that just kind of sums up where they are at the moment the West Coast again, like far out, 101 point loss, conceding 17 goals in a row. That's deplorable. Like, I'm sorry to any West Coast fans that are, you know, listening to us right now, but it's so bad. Like, if there wasn't West Coast in this competition, we'd be talking about North Melbourne and what a basket case they are. And North Melbourne are a basket case as well, if I'm being perfectly honest. But at least I can see the hope and the optimism with North Melbourne, like with Hawthorne, as we touched on earlier in the show. But the fact that you've got Hearn, Stewie, Nick Nat announced his retirement yesterday or today, you know, there's only going to be more pain for, for West Coast as they go forward and they're going to lose that experience with those key senior players. And I know that, Shuey hasn't been able to get on the park this year much and, and Nick Nat's just had a a crippling injury history, which is very unfortunate. And I thought his retirement speech was outstanding. I had to listen to it on the in the car on the way to work this morning. But um yeah, I'm not gonna really touch on Fremantle. They did what they had to do, and Lockie Schultz was fantastic. Luke Jackson was great in the ruck and 
you know, hopefully Fremantle are able to rebound next year. But just says something about West Coast. I feel like I know they probably won't want to part ways with Simpson, but I feel like there just needs to be. I feel like there just needs to be that fresh start and that optimism. Almost the clean slate. What do you reckon? Yeah, I, I sort of in the same boat, and it'll be um. Interesting to see what they do with pick one as well, um, whether they push it back and, and split the pick with North Melbourne or whoever's sort of interested there for Harley Reid. But, yeah, I think we've touched on that probably enough in the show. But, yeah, disappointing for West Coast. Seems a lot like 2018, Carlton, but even worse than that. So, yeah, it's, it's disappointing for them and it's disappointing for the competition as well um, from a sort of – uh, what, what's the word I'm trying to get at? Just for equality reasons, I guess. We talk about it not being a fair competition as it is, but some sides have had the luxury of playing Hawthorne. Not so much currently, but early parts of the season, you know, they've had the luxury of playing Hawthorne twice, North Melbourne twice, and West Coast twice. You know, providing you don't do anything ridiculously stupid, that's potentially six wins that could get you into the eight. You know, it could be the difference between finishing top four and, you know, bottom bottom part of the eight. So, you know, I think that's something that the competition needs to look at. I'm still of the opinion that you need to give West Coast and North Melbourne some assistance. Uh, whether it's more money in the soft cap to continue development of these players, I feel like that's probably the most unlikely scenario, but similar to what North Melbourne got last year where they have to trade picks for established players or, you know, um, just actual players who have already been in the system and know what they need to do in order to, you know, get some more experience into that football club. Because, like, North Melbourne don't need any more kids. I still think West Coast need more kids um, based on, the way that they've traded in previous years, the amount of, you know, trade um, and draft currency they gave up for for Tim Kelly um, a few years ago. And I don't blame them for doing that. Tim Kelly's been a pretty good player for him and he's been one of the ones to stand up this year. But, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see what West Coast do in uh, the next couple of weeks. But really interesting, if we touch on the games that are going to be played this weekend, I suppose the game that's going to provide a lot of intrigue for people, it's first v second, it's Collingwood and Brisbane at Marvel. I hate that this game is not at the MCG. I'm not sure what the AFL were doing in the fixturing department there. I know the teams have to play, Victorian teams have to play so many games at Marvel, but if Brisbane can win this game, they're pretty much guaranteed top two, considering they play St Kilda at the Gabba the week after. But if Collingwood win and Port Adelaide can w- win their next two fixtures, that's massive for Port. And I feel like in order for Port to be successful in this final series, they do need a top two finish. And obviously every team would love a top two finish, but it's more important to those um, non-Victorian sides that they can get that higher spot so that they don't have to travel until the last weekend of September. Um but then again, we've got a game on Saturday, 
Saturday uh, twilight, which is GWS and, and the Bombers at Giant Stadium. The winner of that game is out of contention for, for mine. And I suppose the other really intriguing game would be the St Kilda and Geelong game. So who, just out of interest, I know we're, uh, I'm throwing this as a little bit of a curveball at you, but who wins on Friday night out of Collingwood and and Brisbane, considering that they've got Collingwood's got that big injury to uh, the skipper Darcy Moore? I'm, I'm not exactly sure, um, but it's definitely going to shape the top eight in terms of sort of where, where Port finish where, and where Brisbane finish. Um, I th- you probably have to go Collingwood um, just as the home side. Although d- the dimensions of Marvel probably fit Brisbane a little bit better because of the gather. Um, I don't know how many times you've done sort of ladder predictions and everything like that, but I reckon it's going to be super tight. I think sort of the top five is probably set. And then I think, in my opinion, the entire sort of sixth to 11th is all going to finish on the same amount of wins and it's all going to come down to percentage. So I think um, not just this Collingwood game, but a lot of the other games we have coming up this week and next week, it's going to be really interesting because it's going to come really, really close. And who knows, a few draws here and there uh, from Geelong and from Sydney might come in handy. Absolutely. And I think the game that has the most intrigue for me is um, the Saints and, and Geelong at Marvel. I feel like that game just has such big ramifications because St Kilda have to travel to the Gabba, the Gabba next week and the Cats have the dogs at GMHBA Stadium. I always struggled to get that one out. Um, but GMHBA Stadium down at the Cattery, I feel like the loser's out of this one. I know St Kilda is six at the moment, but you think the Western Bulldogs are going to beat West Coast quite comfortably. No disrespect to West Coast once again. You think Melbourne get the job done over a 16th place um, Hawthorne, and you would probably think that Port Adelaide are able to get the chocolates over Fremantle. It is in Perth. They do give Fremantle a chance in this game, but you think with so much on the line for Port that they're not going to let the next two games slip. And they were um, riveting to watch on on Sunday night against the Giants. But the other game that I feel like has very significant um, ramifications will be the Crows and the Swans. I feel like the Crows can win this game and obviously then play West Coast the week after in Perth and get a nice little percentage boost. Um, I feel like the Crows could make it. So it's uh, some teams have an easy game this week. Some have the more challenging games that are, are really going to separate them. Those eight-point games, as we call them, you know, that enough to get that edge on the opposition. But, oh, it's been a fascinating season of football because you just don't know which way it's going to go at this point. And I feel like it's not even worth at any point just predicting what's going to happen. Sure, you can think certain things are going to happen, but we're just seeing curveballs being thrown all the time. We see the way that Hawthorne have played for the last couple of weeks to really you know, challenge some of those top eight sides. They've got another top eight side in Melbourne this week. So, you know, if Melbourne lost again this week, it potentially opens up another opportunity for, for Carlton to jump into a top four spot, depending on 
who Melbourne have the week after, which is Sydney at the SCG. So two very competitive games for the Demons, but um, yeah, I just it's just fascinating the the way that this could go this week. We've had a, a couple of retirements this week, Ash. We've had Nick Natnui. Um, what a great player he's been. What's your fond- fondest memories of Nick Nat? Probably that mark he took against, um, oh, to escape my mind. Geelong? Um, I think so. On, on the wing? Is that? Oh, there's, to be fair, there's a lot of marks <laughs> that Nick Nat has took, but I, I remember one a couple of years ago that he took against Geelong in Perth in a Ford pocket, one that he took on a wing in, in the early stage of his career. He's a three-time All-Australian. He's a two-time best and fairest for the West Coast Eagles. Um, he was never going to play on next year as much as, you know, he's been a, a great and loyal servant to the West Coast Eagles. And where, where West Coast are at the moment, it's take, it would take opportunities away from a, a Bailey Williams who has been pretty competitive this year. So understand, um, you know, the, the reasons that Nick Nat's given it away and it provides opportunities for Bailey Williams to continue solidifying the number one rock spot. Uh, there's some contract news as well. Ken Hinckley has signed a two-year deal with Port Adelaide as of today. There are still heavy rumours that there is a wink-wink, nudge-nudge succession plan in place for Josh Carr to be the coach of Port following Ken Hinckley's uh, new tender at Port Adelaide. So what are your thoughts on the contract extension and do you think it's the right move going forward? I mean... I, I don't think at this current sort of situation you could possibly get rid of um, Ken Hinckley. Like, like it just would, would not make sense whatsoever. So the, the only option you're left with is to keep him, which I don't think is necessarily that bad either, but he's also only won, I believe, two finals in eight years for Adelaide. So, so the, the return, am I right in saying that? Two finals in eight years? Two finals wins, uh... should I say? They won a qualifying in 2020, qualifying in 2021, two prelim losses. Yeah, it's probably about right, considering they haven't won any finals in between 2014 and 2020 for memory. Yeah. They got knocked out in 17 by the Shuey ducking. Um, but I won't touch on that too much, West Coast fans. But, yeah, I still think it's the right move for, for Ken Hinckley and Port Adelaide to sign that contract. You can see, clearly see that the players are very invested in Ken Hinckley. And even I, when I worked at the club for a short period of time, um, you could very much tell that the players were all in on Ken Hinckley. And when I spoke to past players as well about Ken Hinckley, they all spoke about him in a really positive way manner you know coming in at a very difficult time in the club's history you know pretty much when the club was almost at rock bottom um john mccarthy just passed away you know sacking matthew primus former club captain club legend so um what he's been able to do this year with the help of josh carr chad corn nathan bassett and his other assistants has been pretty incredible and i feel like the team will push for obviously glory this year, but I still feel like they're going to be pushing for glory next year with some potential um, inclusions in terms of the trade period and the upcoming draft as well. I know that they're 
they're eyeing a couple of key players, which have been heavily documented in the and talked about in the media. But um, yeah, I feel like it's a great move, and obviously, I don't think the club had any choice. Top four finish. Obviously, you'd love to be able to get to a pre a prelim at least grand final. You know, is certainly within reach, and if they get top two, then you know. It makes their job easier. Not saying that's going to give them anything. We saw what happened in 2021 when they got absolutely carted by the Bulldogs in that prelim final. But that's that's footy. That's what happens. But uh, another positive news story was Rory Sloan has signed on for 2024 as well. Uh, I feel like that's a fair enough move from the Crows. Um, coming off an ACL injury, he's been able to uh, get his spot back in the team pretty well. Um, he accepts that he's going to play some sample footy next year in order to give uh, players um, more opportunities. And uh, I can tell you that tonight that the Crows uh, have pretty much told Matt Krauts to, to start looking around for a new home, which I think is slightly harsh considering I think his form over the last month has been pretty sensational. But Ash, is there a Melbourne club do you think that Matt Krauts could be um, suited for need another inside midfielder? I know there's a lot of them going around these days where – there's such an emphasis on the the speed, the acceleration out of stoppage, but still feel like you got to, you know, you got to have those players who can get the ball first to feed it to those outside players and explosive players. Yeah, I mean, potentially North Melbourne, I, I think, are the only ones that were sort of really bolster the midfield. But it, but even then, they've got a, a lot of sort of young bigs coming through. I, I don't think I think they could do with a bit of experience now that Cunnington's gone. Um, someone to sort of Help along Simkin and, and Luke Davies Uniac and sort of um Stuart Darcy Tucker from from Frio, but he's not really sort of that great George Warlaw, obviously. Sheasel can take a few sort of midfield minutes. So they've got some options there. I think that Matt Crouch, though, would be decent after um Cunnington retires. Yeah, I'd probably agree with that as well. Potentially Hawthorne as well, um, might be another one. You know, I know they are looking to, you know, have some youth coming in that midfield and we've seen what they've been able to do with Warpole, Day, Newcomb, but maybe just one experienced head and he's going to be a free agent, so it's not going to cost you anything. Um, and I don't feel like he's going to break the, the bank in terms of salary cap as well. So um, before we move into other trade rumours that we've heard um, this week. Let's go through the round of games. So Friday night, as we touched on early in the show, we've got Collingwood and the Brisbane Lions. Saturday, we've got Richmond and North Melbourne in what will be Jack Rewalt and Trent Cotchin's last game. What a career those two have both had. Jack, over 750 goals. Trent Cotchin, 300 games. Three-time premiership captain. Um, you know, those two will certainly be missed by the Tigers faithful. If we move to Saturday, other Saturday games, the Gold Coast take on Carlton at Heritage Bank Stadium. Good chance for Carlton to 100% solidify their top eight spots, even though most people probably think they're already there at this point. The game that we touched on that's going to have big ramifications is the GWS Giants and the Bombers at Giants Stadium. And then St Kilda and Geelong, at Marvel Stadium Saturday night. And the other Saturday night game is the Crows and the Swans. 
I'm even going to see if I can get tickets to that game, even though I'm not a Crows supporter, but I still feel like Sydney and Crows could be a ripping contest. The Sunday games, as we touched on, the Bulldogs should get a nice percentage boost over the West Coast Eagles and Melbourne should get the job done over the Hawks at the MCG. And the final game of the round as the Matildas are playing, unfortunately, unfortunately these games clash, which I really dislike, but it is what it is. Uh, Fremantle and Port Adelaide over at Optus Stadium. We touched on those games, but I feel like there's some really ripping contests. Is there any particular games that you're looking forward to? Um, yeah, probably as you mentioned, Crows and, and Sydney is the one for me. I think Sydney on the back of a five-game winning streak, I believe. So it's going to be interesting if coming in probably as underdogs against the Crows at home can continue that winning streak or to the Crows sort of push for finals and probably if they if they lose and it's it for them. So a lot of mini elimination finals come down this week. Um probably the next three weeks filled with elimination finals. Going to be really interesting who stands up, who delivers and who will crumble to the ground. Going to be nice to see how that top eight uh, finishes up. I reckon there are still a few more surprises to come. And once again, I feel like we're going to have to wait till the Sunday of round 24 to officially sort of find out where all the teams are going to line up. And the one thing that's going to, play a really important part this year more than any other year I feel is the pre-finals by so many teams have injuries we touched on Carlton we touched on Port Adelaide with Dixon and Scott Lysette uh, Collingwood with Dacos uh, and Darcy Moore you know I feel like this pre-finals by is a good chance for a majority of the teams to get people healthy, but at the same time, we've talked about it in years gone by. Does it kill the momentum of the teams that are already in form coming into finals? And does it disadvantage the top two teams who win that first week, have a week off, and they play about one game in the space of 28 days? What are your thoughts on that? Potentially. I mean, there are sort of positives and, and negatives to, to the situation. I'm probably more in the in the camp for it rather than against it. I would rather look. Let's just say I'd rather a pre-finals buy than a pre-grand final buy. I would um, agree with that. So, I, I think overall it usually helps teams out in in a positive way than, rather than a negative way. There are instances when it can sort of be a detriment to the club, especially as you mentioned with you know if you're playing in the prelim and, and you miss the week pre-finals and you miss the week of week two of finals in between the prelim and the qualifying finals. So look, overall, I reckon keep it. It's good for Carton at least. And gets another week into sort of Walsh and Chair if we're going to rest and Mackay and McGovern and Kennedy. So yeah, I, I don't really mind either way. I'm probably in the camp for it. I feel like at the moment, for, for my team, I'm okay with it. Uh, but in years gone by, it just feels like it kills the momentum of the season. And um, I feel like it does disadvantage those top two teams from, you know, getting that week off so that they are fresh going into that that prelim. And, you know, whether it produces better quality finals overall, I don't know. But I feel like it's here to stay. I don't feel like it's going to change anytime soon. So we may as well get used to it. 
as we approach the end of the season, uh, it starts to get a little bit interesting in terms of trade news, uh, speculation, rumours. Have you heard anything on the circuits in regards to trade rumours? I know there's been a little bit going around, but, um, you know, as teams start to finish up over the next couple of weeks, I think a few more things are going to come to light. What are your thoughts? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, To be honest, I'm only really focusing trade-wise on on Carlton. I know that we have a lot of interest in Jade Gresham, which I'm not too much of a fan of. He's a free agent, so I guess if you're going to get him for free, it's better than nothing. The only thing that sort of concerns me is his salary. He's sort of reported currently to be on about 550K, which free agents very rarely um, get traded over for less um, than their current amount. So I think that's a, a double negative for Carlton. Even Either they sort of match his current salary and um, – you know, that's more cap space used up on a very average player than I don't even think would be best 22, to be honest. Or can't offer him unders. Jade Gresham's prepared to take that, but then St Kilda match that contract offer and then we're forced to trade, which I don't want Carlton using picks on Jade Gresham either. So, look, if we can get him for free and for low salary, I'd be keen. Um, yeah, I know there's a bit of talk here that Port are probably interested in um, Sava Radigalia. I'm not too sure who else Port would have interest in, but you would know that better than me. Yeah, well, Asava Radigalia has been the one that um, has been documented the most with his trade request last year being denied by Andrew Mackey. Um, the other one that I've heard a lot of rumours about, and not too many people are going to know about this man, but James Borlase, uh, he's father played for Port Adelaide, but he was part of the Crows Academy based on something multicultural. I'm not 100% sure, but Port were not happy that he wasn't a father-son. He was actually part of the Crows Academy, but uh, there is a strong rumour in the circles of Adelaide that he will request a trade to Port Adelaide at the end of the year with the likely retirement to Tom Jonas. Uh, Borlase has played two games of AFL football so far and really pressed not, impressed on debut against the Gold Coast Suns. So that's an exclusive for uh, Mojo Sports. So hopefully the boys can run with that one on the socials. But um, Brandon Zirk-Vatcher from... Uh, the Bombers, he's also of interest to Port Adelaide, a South Australian North Adelaide junior. Uh, not sure what his trade value will be. I know he's very highly regarded by the Bombers, but with Adrian Dodoro, uh, players who are a third-round pick somehow end up being a first-round pick in trade value. So, yes, uh, good old Adrian Dodoro. The other sort of players that I've been hearing about. Jack Billings is a contracted player with St Kilda. However, he is keen to explore additional opportunities, um, but it very much depends on, um, you know, a team being able to pick up his money. I believe he's contracted for next year. Not sure about the year after. Uh, but he's expected to be on about 500000 So St Kilda, in terms of their cap space, are quite tight from what I've what I've heard, and they're financially struggling as a club already. So um, if they can get him off his books, get a decent pick in return, um, they're going to be 
happily doing that that deal as well. Uh, who knows what's going to happen with Ben McKay at the moment? I know Essendon has been heavily heavily rumoured. Port Adelaide was rumoured at the start of the year, but more of their attention has turned to Radagalia. But I still can't believe that the fact that Ben McKay could get a return of pick three, I still find that's ridiculous considering he's played, I think it's like 60 or 70 games in seven years. I know he's got lots of potential, um, but I find that ridiculous. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, and probably more so with the fact that he's only really played good footy over the last sort of month because his first half of the season was pretty terrible, to be honest. And, and, and even now, he he looks checked out, sort of not, not applying pressure in the same way or taking contests in the same way, which we know that he can. He's a very talented footballer. Um, and, yeah, I, I think I saw a crazy stat where he's only won, I'm going to say, less than 10 games in his career. I'm not sure exactly how... how um, how accurate that is, but for someone that's what twenty five, um, that that's, that's pretty terrible to to win that few games. Yeah, the other two rumors that will concern your beloved Blues would be Paddy Dow and Jack uh, Silvani to St Kilda. I've heard that rumor very heavily floating around. As we touched on in weeks gone by, Port Adelaide's got pretty significant interest in Brody Grundy. Hawthorne has had hint. Interest in the Gold Coast Suns, Sam Flanders. Uh, there has been interest from Hawthorne and North Melbourne in regards to Carlton's Zach Fisher, who has played a couple of games off halfback. And I, I don't think we've touched on this for a couple of weeks, but Tom Barras is pretty keen to uh, stay at West Coast despite having very significant interest from Sydney. Taron Thomas's future is up in the air at North Melbourne, whether they decide to cut their losses with Taron Thomas. I feel like he's actually been pretty good since he's come back into the the team and played some pretty consistent footy. But with those off-field issues, um, North Melbourne may look to uh, part ways. Has there any anything else going on in the Melbourne circuits, mate, that would be very interesting to uh, break on the podcast? Oh, nothing that sort of springs to mind straight away. Very good, very good. Well, Ash, pleasure to have you on the Tuesday night Mojo Sports AFL show. Thanks for joining me, mate. It's all right, pleasure. Thank you to those of you who are watching at home. Make sure that you follow Mojo Sports on Instagram at Mojo Sports AFL and the team will be back on Thursday night to give you your round 23 preview. So take care, everyone. Cheers. Cheers.